Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. If you're with us for the first time today, last Sunday, we started what we call a practice. And for us, uh, a practice is pretty simple, but we want to take Jesus seriously for his words. And so we want to practice his way of life. And so right now we're in the midst of a trusting Jesus practice. Last week we kicked it off and then we had groups, uh, I think nine different groups or so that are meeting throughout the, the greater Prescott area to not only talk about what we're talking about, but then to go and do it and talk about how that went well, maybe ways it didn't go well. And so on Friday night, uh, our group got together and sat around a campfire. The kids ended up watching a movie and it was just good to be together, to pray together, to discuss and, and practice some of these things together. And so I hope you had that experience as well. Last week, we uh, talked about trusting Jesus with our minds. And really, this whole series is rooted out of Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6 of that chapter say this. It's a common uh, verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts, and do not rely or lean on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. Uh, Last week, as is kind of typical for us, we did something weird, and we watched some Super Bowl commercials. It's not typical to watch Super Bowl commercials. It's typical for us to do something weird. Uh, And in that process, just for clarity, in that process, as we watched these commercials, part of the idea or the whole idea was to help us interpret, to go, what in our culture is good and how our culture trains us, not just what to think, but how to think? What of our culture is in alignment with the way of Jesus that we should celebrate? And what in our culture and how our culture trains us to think is outside of or kind of contrary to the way that Jesus is teaching us to think? And so we looked at these commercials to kind of filter and assess where those gaps might be. And we, we walked through these four questions. Now, if you were in a practice group, you did this. What vision for the world's future does this commercial promote? What vision for your future does this commercial promote? What does this commercial ask you to sacrifice? And in what ways is this commercial in alignment with the way of Jesus? And what ways, if any, does it oppose the kingdom of Jesus? And so last week, uh, we read about trusting Jesus with our minds. And this week isn't going to be a total let go of that and start something new. It's going to be something where we build on trusting Jesus with our minds. We read uh, Colossians chapter 3, 
uh, almost the whole chapter, but I want to reread verses one through four in Colossians chapter three. Again, Paul's just writing to a church in a place called Colossae of people like us, and he, uh, he writes this. So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Set your minds on what is above. This is not making a distinction to look into the sky, like we talked about last week, and think about what's going on in our concept of heaven in the clouds. What it's saying is, think about the way of Jesus. Think about his design for life here on earth and live into that. And so this morning, our our topic about trusting Jesus is what does it look like to trust Jesus with the work of our hands? What does it look like to trust Jesus with the work of our hands? And when I say that statement, uh, some of you maybe don't work with your hands. This could uh, be staying at home with the children and raising them up. It's vocation. This could be crunching numbers in finance. It could be being retired and helping with grandkids or or some other uh, ventures or opportunities in the community that you're a part of. But to trust Jesus with our hands is to trust him with the work that we do, the things we cultivate, the ways that we engage in the midst of our culture. And the same questions that we looked at last week can be applied to the work of our hands. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to assess what was God's design in the beginning when God created life and he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, and a few more times it is good just in case we forget, which we're good at doing. Side note, that's one of the, I think, greatest misunderstandings or or lack of understandings we as Christians have. Maybe one of the points where we disagree with Jesus the most is that he said it is good about this world. He said it is good about earth and the physical. We have a tendency to uh, value the spiritual much more than the physical and the emotional, the relational. Jesus didn't do that. He created it all and said it is good. And that includes the work of our hands. And so this morning, we're going to assess what was God's design when he created work and vocation? And then what does culture say or teach us about work and vocation, the work of our hands? And where, if any, are there gaps in between uh, the two? And so I want to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, the very first book and the very uh, first chapter of the scriptures. This might be the most important chapter of the scriptures in many ways, because it's our clue to what God's design was for marriage. It's our clue for what God's design was uh, for how to handle ourselves as humanity in the midst of this earth. It's our clue for what God's design is for family and for also the topic at hand, uh, the work of our hands. And so we'll, we'll pick up in verse 26. For context, as I mentioned, God has basically said he created all the things in the world, the plants, the animals, the trees, the atmosphere, the sky, the waters, and over and over again, he said, it is good. And then we pick up in verse 26, and I want you to listen for three specific words that are going to be repeated and emphasized. They'll be really important for us this morning. Those words are image, rule, and subdue. Image, rule, and subdue. Listen for those as we we read here in Genesis 1, uh, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, in essence, go everywhere, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. What is God's design for the work of our hands? Uh, I think you could summarize it. I'm going to summarize it this way, that God's design for the work of our hands is to cultivate and to carry the name. In parentheses, you could put the name of Jesus. That may not make any sense at this point. What does it mean to cultivate and to carry the name? My hope is by the end of this morning, that will make some sense. And where we're going to start is with those three words. God's call for us. And the original commandment, before there was a command to uh, think about salvation, before there was a command to ever think about evangelism, before there was ever sin in the world, the very first set of instructions we get is actually about the work of our hands, to embrace the image of God and with it to rule and to subdue. And so we'll start with image. What does that mean? He says, we will make them in our image, in our likeness. We, we make a lot of uh, mistakes often. It's easy to do so when we come to the scriptures. Maybe even especially when we think about like uh, children in uh, Sunday school. And we're going to tell them the stories of the scriptures. And we'll, we'll talk about Abraham and his adventures and his faith. And then we'll eventually get to Moses and how he was put in a basket on the Nile and then adopted into Pharaoh's home. And then he eventually led Pharaoh to let God's people go, and they went into the wilderness. Then eventually we'll talk about David and Goliath and him slaying the giant. And we do something that we're really good at doing. We make it all about us. We love to be the main character of the story, but this book is not about us. The story of Abraham is not a story about a man who had great faith. It's a story about the God who is worthy of placing our faith in. The, the stories of Moses saving and redeeming his people is not the story of a brilliant leader who also does some really dumb things. He was certainly brave and courageous. It's the story of the God who said, yeah, you're not very good at talking, but you're going to be the one to talk and lead my people out of slavery. You're going to be the one to establish a whole entire new nation in my name. You can't do the work, but I will. The story of David and Goliath is not about an incredible warrior. It's about the God who fought his battles. But we like to make it about us. The image of God is something imprinted in us, his likeness, his way of life, his character, his personality. We, we talk often about Exodus uh, 34, where God for the first time reveals his name because it's one of those keys that kind of unlocks an understanding of all of the scriptures. I don't think you can understand the, the scriptures really without understanding Exodus 34, where Moses is at Mount Sinai, and God's people are, are all ready to, go, ready to go back to Egypt and be slaves, because at least they're fed there. They're already done with the God who just miraculously saved them, and Moses goes, God, I can't lead these people. I don't know how to do it. Help me. Can I at least like, have a sign and see your face? And God says, No but I'll tell you my name. To this point, God had not shared his name. He was just the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'll tell you my name, and I'll tell you who I am. And every time you hear my name, you'll know what you can count on. And so he begins to say, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's the first time he says his name. A God who is gracious, 
the giver of all good things, the creator of all that is good to delight in, abounding in love, not just like loving sometimes, but abounding in. He is love himself, a God who is faithful to thousands, who is generous, who is forgiving, who rights our wrongs. When we mess up, he doesn't make us make up for our mistakes. He just says, you are loved. Come follow me. A God who is slow to anger. This is one of the most important things in the scriptures. Our God does get angry, but slowly. He doesn't have a temper problem, but eventually when his people are oppressed and hurt and suffering, he will hear their cries and he will step up strongly and do something. A God who is just, a God who listens. He says, this is my name, it is Yahweh, and this is who I am. You can count on me. And then the rest of the scriptures tell the story of how he is faithful to that name, that he never fails to be who he said to be. This is the image of God. This is his likeness that you and I were made in. This is the foundation of understanding how to trust Jesus with the work of our hands, is to understand that at your core, you are made with that character in mind, with that image, with that likeness. The next word is this word rule, which is not something we think of often. We don't have kings and queens like the days of old anymore that reigned over us. But the, the, the wording here is just that. It means to reign like a good king to rule like a good king. And a good king puts systems and processes in place, provisions and protections, judgments to help lead a healthy culture and civilization. Without healthy rule, society is filled with chaos and disorder. In fact, Genesis 1 and 2 is written as a creation account, not to scientifically prove how God created the world, but actually it's written in response to the other creation narratives in the world at this time where the people were told that they were created by gods who really were just kind of lazy and didn't want to work, and so they needed slave labor, and humanity would be that slave labor, that out of chaos, for the sake of the god's own good, humans would kind of be made and discarded as needed. And God says, no, you were made in my image with this character to go and rule and reign as kings of the earth and humanity for the sake of the earth and the plants and the animals so that it would be added to the list of what is good. In the image of God, we were called to rule, which then leads us to this third and and final word, subdue, another kind of odd word that you don't hear a ton. And, And to subdue is this, it's to take what is raw and wild and untamed and to cultivate it into something good. It's dirt filled with weeds, and we till it and remove those weeds, and we fertilize the soil and add water lines and some seeds, and eventually, maybe if you're lucky, you get a garden with plants that turn into vegetables to feed your family with. That is subduing, taking what is wild and untamed and producing something good with it. It's planting a plant that turns into a bean that we then eventually ground up and mix with water, and it's like this bean water that we eventually call coffee, and I can't survive with it. That's subduing. It is good. It's necessary. Rick McKinley in his book, uh, Faith for This Moment, which we, we have for sale in uh, the back by the donuts, frames it this way, and I think it's helpful. We don't think about all the systems and structures, the ruling and subduing that has gone on in our culture. He says this, think about the last time you drove down the highway. What kept the other cars on their side of the road and prevented them from running into your car? The answer is something called a lane. At some point, someone somewhere decided that a road should contain stripes, 
white ones to separate people going in the same direction, and yellow ones to separate people going in opposite directions. As a result, people can travel safely and orderly as they drive down the road. Take away the painted lines and watch what happens during rush hour. Imagine going 75 miles an hour down the road that doesn't have a big concrete median, and instead there's no lines. It would be chaos and death and disorder. This is ruling and subduing. It is good. It's making sense. It's taming the wild in our culture so that people can visit family and friends at further distances. This is what we were made to do, to cultivate, to subdue, to rule, all in the image of God. I started by asking the question, what is God's design for the work of our hands? You can kind of use this equation. It is embracing the image of God, his character, as the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, faithful and just, abounding in love and forgiving, and embracing who we are made to be, that character that's imprinted in our DNA, plus ruling, plus subduing, and that is going to equal cultivating and carrying the name. John Mark Comer in his book, God Has a Name, which is also for sale by the Donuts, uh, coined this term of carrying the name. And I think it's brilliant. It's effective communication. It means wherever you go, whatever you do, whether you want to or not, if you claim Christ, you are carrying his name with you in how you handle yourself relationally, vocationally, emotionally, financially. And everything you do, wherever you go, you represent his name. You carry it with you. You are an ambassador for the name of Jesus. And so when we embrace the image of God and we rule as we were commanded to and we subdue as we were commanded to, all Christians are commanded to, there's cultivation and carrying the name. I think this is one of the greatest things we neglect as Christians. The call, the command that Jesus gave us. For some reason, We've said, oh, that doesn't matter all that much. But it matters to Jesus, so I think it should matter to us. If you've been around church in the last 50-something years, maybe even if you haven't, church culture has done something I mentioned where we've devalued the physical world and we've really valued the, the spiritual world. It happened in the, the scriptures as well. It was referred to as Gnosticism. It has its roots in, in Plato. You could actually make an argument that oftentimes our churches, we, the way we think, instead of trusting Jesus with our minds, we've actually trusted Plato with our minds and his philosophy, where the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. So we focus on the spiritual and we forget that this whole book about the God that we were made in the image of starts with, it is good, and the physical, and the work of our hands. And we as the church, I think, have actually neglected the first job that he's given to us. I want to take a, a moment, if that's how God has designed work, to image embracing it, rule and subdue, that equals cultivate and carry the name. That's his design. What does culture say about our work and where are the gaps? Culture gets a lot right about the work of our hands. We as humanity have produced really brilliant things, transportation systems like we mentioned, 
You think about FaceTiming a family member or friend in a, a moment of celebration. How many weddings happened in this past year where people couldn't be present, but they could witness it on FaceTime and participate? Or a family member or friend is mourning, and you can be there to mourn alongside of them via these devices. I go to a, a sporting event and an arena filled with crowds of people, and it's just brilliant what has been created. Incredible restaurants. We were singing songs played with music by instruments over a sound system this morning. There's so much good that has been produced. That was God's original commandment. Well done, humanity. And then, still, there's ways that culture has not embraced God's call to work, has misunderstood, or maybe even walked against the way that Jesus designed us to embrace the work of our hands. And there's two specific myths I want to bring up and kind of debunk about work. Myth number one is this. Work is part of the curse. If we actually are honest about it, many of us Christ followers, maybe we don't say this, but we believe that. Work is part of the curse. And if you're not familiar with what I mean uh, by the curse, in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, and there's these set of curses. We read one of them uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. Notice it says the ground is cursed, not work is cursed. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Work in and of itself is not born, birthed out of the curse. It is a part of the original it is good of Genesis 1 and 2. But like I mentioned last week, in a similar way to how my marriage is good, yet distorted by sin because I'm selfish, so work too is good. It's part of God's good design, yet it's distorted by sin. It is painful. It's hard, often divisive and brutal. It can produce bad things. But the thing in and of itself was a part of Jesus' design when he designed and architected, engineered the world that we live in. I would go so far as to say when Jesus sacrificially gave up his life on the cross, he did not die just to save our souls. He died to save our bodies, to save our work, to renew and restore the whole world and its design that he began and said it is good back in Genesis 1 and 2. And until we embrace the whole story, rather than just this idea of spirituality and I don't want to go to hell, so I'd rather go to heaven, so I believe in the name of Jesus, but I don't really need to worry about the other things, well, we're really kind of missing out. We're not taking Jesus seriously for what he said, for this very first commandment at the very beginning. The uh, second myth is this. It's this idea of working for the weekend, or, or working for the paycheck. And my guess is many of you feel that that is the reality. It's just about what we get at the end. It's about providing for my family, or paying off the mortgage, or the car payment, or this or that. Please don't let work be that. Now granted, there's bills to be paid, but that is not in line with God's design for work. If work, the work of our hands, was a part of the it is good at 
the very beginning. At the very beginning, we were made with unique skill sets and ideas and ways of thinking to embrace the image of God in our lives, to rule and subdue, to cultivate, and to carry the name. The work of our hands is part of the delighting we were made to do. At some point, heaven is not just this eternal vacation. We'd actually get bored with that. Believe it or not, you would get tired of and bored with sitting on the beach drinking margaritas day after day. Eventually, you'd be like, this is getting old. Might not be day one or day three or day seven. At day 17, that still sounds good to me. But at some point, it might be day 70, you're going to get bored with this because you're not making anything with your hands. Think about it this way. Even little children that go to the beach that don't work, you know what they do? They build a sandcastle. Like we were made to build, to cultivate, to create as co-creators in the image of God to rule and subdue, to tame the sand and the waves. Surfing is that. It's creating something to grab a hold of a wave and to enjoy what God delighted in. We can't help it. We were made to do this. It is good. It's not a part of the curse. It's not just a means to a paycheck. And I'm not saying there's not certain jobs that you might have that'll be hard and will feel just like that, but there is deeper value in it. And, and maybe if that's the case, you have to go, God, what are you calling me to do? What does it look like to trust the work of my hands to you? What are you trying to do with the work of my hands? I think though as a church, we've neglected this. I recently... Uh, Went to the beach, my family and I went to, to San Diego with my parents and my sister and brother-in-law and their kids. And uh, when we got to this VRBO rental, I started reading the little booklet because I'm weird. And you know, part of it tells you the Wi-Fi password and what day to put out the trash and this and that. Three pages was like information. The fourth page, 25% of it was dedicated to requesting five-star reviews. And it was very specific. It wasn't like, hey, by the way, please leave a good review. It was a whole page saying, our business will not function. Here's our family history. Here's how we help those in need. Please give a five-star review because our business cannot function without that. Reviews and reputation matter significantly. If I'm somewhere I'm not familiar with, I'm looking at restaurants on Yelp, looking at reviews, making decisions. Again, reviews, reputation matter. The, the name behind a company or a family or a business, it matters. And it matters to Jesus. In, in Exodus 34, where for the first time Yahweh reveals his name, uh, about 10 verses later, we read this in, in verse 14. Uh, keep in mind, the context is that the nation of Israel is about to enter the promised land, so they're about to start a new civilization, and by that civilization, there to be a preview of what life looks like with Yahweh God. And so he's establishing the law for them, what life will look like, and we read this. You are to never bow down to another God, because Yahweh, being jealous by nature, is a jealous God. And at first you go, that sounds weird. Isn't jealousy bad? What does that mean? And this is one of those moments where the translation into to English is, is challenging, not just because of words, but because of culture and concepts. We don't necessarily treat names quite the same. What, what maybe uh, in the original Hebrew language would have been understood as something like this. Yahweh is a God that is jealous for his name. 
He cares deeply about his reputation because when he said, I am who I am, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is gracious and compassionate, faithful, slow to anger, but who will bring about justice, who's forgiving, who's abounding in love, he took that seriously. His name matters because people will follow his name. And then God did something crazy. Sometimes I think God is crazy. He said, I'm going to entrust you, the church, with my name. Jesus trusts us with his name. The God who is jealous for his name trusts you and I with his name so that the world will know about him through our work. Certainly the spiritual things too, but where do you spend most of your time? Certainly isn't here. It's probably not doing devotions if you do that kind of thing. A lot of it's sleeping, but you're not too impactful then. It's in the work of your hands. That is where you were engaging both with Christians and non-Christians, believers and not, in the midst of the everyday stuff of life with the work of your hands. That's where Jesus has trusted us with his name. And I think the only proper response to that trust is to then trust him with the work of our hands. Uh, imagine whatever your ideal vacation is, and there's a vacation rental home there. It can fit all the family members that you'd actually like to have there and the friends that you would want to have there. And there's incredible restaurants nearby if you like that, or nobody nearby if that's what you like. And it's decorated just how you would want it to be with the right furniture and everything you like in life. It's good, it's perfect, it's immaculate, it's clean. There's nothing wrong with it, except the reviews. For some reason, you've never been there. It is, it's designed for you by God himself, it's perfect. But the reviews are really low, two and a half stars. Nobody likes it. It's not clean. None of this is true. It's just what the reviews say. That would be a shame. You'd never get to go to this, on this journey that was designed for you. And yet what I feel and what I fear is that oftentimes that's the reality for how we've reviewed the name of Jesus. His world, his way, his person is good. King Jesus will reign on earth, and it'll be everything that earth was meant to be, and there will be no more tears to cry or sin or shame or devastation, and life will be filled with only what was meant to be, including work, and it'll be good. But the world around us often doesn't know that, though it's everything they need and want, because we've not taken Jesus seriously when he said, I trust you with my name. And the very first command is to go in his image, rule and subdue with the work of our hands, cultivate and carry the name. Go back to uh, Colossians chapter three. We read this last week and I want to just continue to, to build on it. Now verse 17 says this, and whatever you do, and everything you do, whether it is in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's not a coincidence. That wasn't like a, hey, you know what? I think it'll just sound good if I write, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, that's not random. This is significant. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is trusting us with his name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do we trust Jesus with the work of our hands, whatever the work of your hands is, or the work of your mind, or whatever type of work you do? I think it's by coming to the Spirit. Once again, it's not about doing more or trying harder or doing better. It's going, Holy Spirit, how can my hands make the world better? 
How can my hands or my mind bring order out of chaos, bring beauty out of brokenness? How can I cultivate and carry your name where you have me today in this moment? Maybe that's a prayer to start each day with. This isn't a day. This isn't a shift. This isn't a project so that I can get a paycheck. Hopefully that happens too. That helps. But this is an opportunity to cultivate and carry the name because I was created in the image of Jesus with his likeness to subdue and rule. I, uh, I think we struggle with that as Christ followers in our humanity. And so I want to invite three people up, Britt and, and Jesse and Toby, because they are cultivating and carrying the name in very different ways and different seasons of their lives. And my hope is that these examples uh, might just give you a little bit of a window to process. How can I carry the name? How can I cultivate? And as they come up, I want to share one more thing. I have a, an office in the back, kind of above the, uh, the kids' rooms, and I'm obsessed with whiteboards. Without my mind, Without my mind, without my whiteboards, my mind does not work. Sometimes it doesn't work, period. And, and this whiteboard was built by, by Dennis and Amy with these uh, glass panels and, and steel. And I, I want you to think about this. At some point, somebody decided to manufacture that steel and then to create these window panels. And someone made some projections and did some market analysis to go, how much can we sell in Prescott? And then they said, okay, this much. And so it was built, and then somebody loaded it onto a truck, and then somebody else drove those materials in the truck to Prescott. And then when they got to Prescott, somebody else unloaded them into some warehouse or shop where somebody had a design and a system to track every different item they had for sale. And then Dennis or Amy walked in there, probably with a wallet or purse that somebody had made and pulled out a credit card or cash or some financial means of paying for goods and services that we can do in this moment in this culture. And then they put it in a car that somebody else built that they had purchased, and they drove it over here. And then there were screws and tools and tape, and they mounted it all up. Simultaneously, someone somewhere else in the world or the country put together these little magical, awesome things called dry erase markers. I don't really know how they work, but they're great. And they come in all kinds of colors. I don't know how the color gets in there. Then you just erase it with this cool little mark, or dry erase thing. It's just great. Have a great thought, put it on, then erase it. Maybe I'll get another one that day, and I feel great about myself. All of a sudden, I spend a lot of time up there, and I'm, I'm putting together some thoughts on a whiteboard, and guess what that translates to this morning? And here's my point. A sermon is nothing significant or special. This is the work of my hands, right? But there's a lot of people and a lot of places over a lot of time with a whole different set of chain reactions that led to this morning, that led to this microphone and you hearing me through the speakers and Nate's guitar that can be played. You just never know how something, as somebody's loading that steel, going, what am I doing? It's powerful. There's impact. We're cultivating. And the way in which you do that work can help to carry the name. Uh, Britt, I want to I start with you. In your life, you've had the opportunity to carry the name and cultivate in a variety of different ways, um, probably some planned and some unplanned. Will you walk us through that, your education here at Embry-Riddle, what you're doing now, just how that's morphed and how God has led you to embrace cultivating and carrying the name in, in different ways in different seasons? 
Did I do it? Yep. There, there you go. go. You got it. Got it. I'm on. Um, yeah, I went to Merriddle. I graduated as an aerospace engineer um, and loved it. It was fun. Um, That's like the joke everyone makes. Like, this isn't rocket science, but, but it was. was. I did launch and ops for a year or two and um, moved out to LA for a job. Um, but the transition from college to the job, um, God really worked on my heart, and there was... Uh, there's a whole story of a testimony there, but um, basically switching my thought and my heart from what do I want to do for God versus what does God want for me and what should I do in following him. And so there's about three years of that um, struggle and tension um, as I worked in the industry. Um, but during that time, God was gracious and loving and set up such a environment that just nourished me and pulled me out of myself <laughs> and more into listening to him. Um, he blessed me with a wonderful husband, and um, now I get to be a mom of three, four, um, and... <laughs> imminent. <laughs> imminent. Um, and they get to um, be blessed with my nerdiness and my craziness <laughs> at home, so... <laughs> The, the Lamberts as a family are really just an incredible family. And I think it's just an impactful story to go in different seasons and at different times if we are sensitive to listen, which I talked about last week and then I had to convict myself, which is never fun. Uh, if we create space to hear from the Spirit, He speaks. And in different seasons and different times and in different places, wherever we go and whatever we're doing, he's calling us to, to carry his name, whether that's raising children or that's literally in the field of rocket science. And the Lambert family has done that uh, beautifully. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is Toby Ebarb. He is one of our elders. Um, will you share a little bit just about your, your industry and, and vocation and, and what you're currently up to? Yeah. Um... 1979, I worked for a buddy of mine. He owned a roofing company, his dad did. And I worked a whole summer. Um, tried after that to go to college, didn't quite work out. Um, so I got back into roofing full-time in 1984. The, um, in that time of uh, being a roofer and having a young family, um, my wife and I, we raised six kids. We had six kids the first eight years we were married. And so I learned how to shingle pretty quickly. Um, I had to bring home a good-sized check every week. And, um, and then fast forward, we moved um, back to Prescott, Arizona in 94, and I started a company, a roofing company, and just out of the back of my pickup truck with a couple of tools and... Um, <clears throat> About a year or two after I started the business, I got asked to join a ministry called Young Life, and I realized at that time, the men that were mentoring me were saying, hey, as a business owner, you've got influence. And I'm like, what? You know, what, 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 how do you have influence just because you own a roofing company with a couple of employees? But I realized I had suppliers I could go to and ask them each for $100 for a fundraiser, and, um, and then, of course, friends and clients and this and that. And so... It's been neat to use um, what God has, you know, like my dad said, you can't keep having kids and be a roofer. I'm like, well, yes, you can. God used whatever vehicle he wanted to, and in my life it was roofing, and um, I was able to use that influence to help out a lot of ministries in town and, and be involved, and, um, and then I'll answer 
Yeah, one of the other beautiful things about Toby's work is I get to know a lot of people in town. I get the perspective of his, his customers, employees, et cetera, and Toby's is that roofing isn't just about roofing. It's not just about the job. The, the countless stories I'll brag on his behalf of counseling and supporting and lending whatever money, trucks, whatever it might be to employees because it's more than just roofing. But there's a lot of those stories or being with customers who might be in a time of need and praying. There, there's different things to where every single day as he listens to the spirit, there's an opportunity to go, what am I cultivating? And how am I carrying the name? What am I cultivating and how am I carrying the name? And so I think Toby's been a, a great example for me and can be for us how to approach that. It isn't just, hey, yeah, I'm a roofer. No, you're a child of God that is doing so much more to cultivate and carry the name. And then this is Jesse. Some of you uh, have had the opportunity to know Jesse. Jesse's on staff here with us and has been for uh, about the last four months, but I think I've known Jesse since she was about four. Uh, and Jesse works incredibly hard. She cleans, she does setup, she does tear down, she drags in all these chairs and drags them out. She does so many different things here uh, at our church, but she doesn't just do it. She does it with this unbelievable joy and with this desire to serve and set people up. She doesn't, I think, just see the task at hand and go, oh, this is what I need to do. And in two weeks, I'll get a paycheck for it. It's not like that. It's how am I serving people? I can actually like just see in her mind as she's working, she knows what she's working for and the opportunities that she is providing for people, whether it's at the porch and it's a couple that are having a date for the first time or somebody getting hired or for us to be in here today, that would not happen in the way it's happening if it was not for Jesse and not just the work she does, but how she does it. Well, you, uh, share a little bit. You had talked about how um, I found out this week she's shown up multiple times when she was not working, she wasn't getting paid, it wasn't her shift, or she had already worked or it was her day off when it was raining to, to check uh, a couple areas of the, the building to make sure we didn't have leaks going on equipment. Other times that you've stayed longer than you should have. Why, why do you do that? Why do you approach things the way you do? Well, mostly I want to finish the job. Um, like, Usually I'm here past three o'clock when I'm supposed to go home at three o'clock, but I don't mind working and I know that like everybody comes here and I just want to make it enjoyable for everybody and have a clean space to come and gather and I care about the building and I care about everybody that comes here, so I want it to be a good place to come and especially when monsoon season was here, our building leaks a little bit and... <laughs> I've come here on my days off just to make sure that the building's okay because I'm the one who's taking care of it and I'm cleaning it all the time. So, I don't know. I just <laughs> care about my work here and I know that everybody has, It's this job has made a very positive impact on my life and I want to kind of return that to you guys because it's a place we come to gather and I want it to be nice here. Well, you do an amazing job. Uh, Jesse's truly a gift, yeah, to our body. And beyond just the, the work she does tangibly here, right, the tasks I mentioned, she's an example uh, as a, a leader of this is how we view what we do. 
It's beyond what meets the eye. It's not working for the weekend or working for a paycheck, though those things are good. It's going, how do I cultivate and how do I carry the name? I want to kind of end our time by, by reading from this book I, I referenced, God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. And he's kind of concluding this idea of what happens on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34 and why Yahweh gives his name and, and says the things he says. We read this. But Yah- or what Yahweh wants is a living, breathing people to put his name on display, to show the world what he is like, not only by what we say, but by how we live. That's what Yahweh is after, a people who are godly, who are like the God they worship, a people who are compassionate, a people who are gracious, a people who are slow to anger, a people who are abounding and love and faithfulness, and a people who live into the tension of mercy and justice. Wouldn't that really be something? So to wrap up, let me just say it's been a pleasure to go on this journey with you. He's referring to the book. Here's my closing word. Don't be afraid to climb the mountain, Mount Sinai. Step into the smoke and fire where God is and devote your life to the pursuit of this terrifyingly good God. If you fall along the way, scrape up your knees, lose ground, that's okay. Give it another go. And remember, everywhere you set your foot, you carry the name. You're not just a barista. You're a living, breathing example of what Yahweh is like. You're not just a software engineer or an entrepreneur at a tech startup. You're a temple on legs, a house of God. You're not just a college student or a professional ballerina or a full-time parent. You're an intermediary between heaven and earth. So as you put this book on a shelf and go about your life, remember this. You're not just walking down the market to pick up dinner. You're carrying the name. You're not just dropping by the office for a meeting. You're carrying the name. You're not just heading to the dog park to let Toto blow off a little steam. You're carrying the name. Everywhere you go, in all that you do, you are called by the name of Yahweh, and it is a really good name. May we, as Restoration Church, be a people that take Jesus seriously for what he calls us to, that value the things that Jesus values. Since he's trusted us with his name, can we trust him with the work of our hands and say, Jesus, today and this moment where you have me, help me to cultivate, help me to carry your name well. I want to close our, our time this morning in prayer as we've been doing. We have a conviction that we need to more and more be a, a people of prayer. And so for some of you, especially those of you that are introverted, this is going to feel awkward. I'm sorry. I'm also not sorry. I think it's worthwhile. What we're going to do is this. Find somebody, one person in the same row behind you, in front of you, walk across the room, do whatever uh, you want to do. Maybe someone you came with, maybe somebody new, if you feel brave. And and do this. Don't ask them what they do for work or what they do for a paycheck, but what's going on in the world and how they're cultivating, how they're contributing, how they're carrying the name. And then just quickly, briefly, it doesn't have to be long, pray a blessing over them. Simply ask that the Spirit would guide them to cultivate and to carry the name well where Jesus has them now. Go ahead and, and spend just a couple of moments here in prayer, and then we'll continue to worship in communion and in one more song.
If you're still uh, praying, feel free to continue to do so. Our hope here as a, uh, a church and for our leadership is that you would never leave a Sunday gathering thinking, I need to do more or I need to do better. Our hope is that you rely and rest on, not your own understanding, but on the person and work of, of Jesus. And so every week, we take communion. As we take communion, we are remembering that Jesus gave up his body and blood, not just once so that we could have salvation in heaven one day, but that he is in us and with us and fighting for us, and that the Spirit of God is a part of who we are. And so as we exit today uh, from the, the building that our church gathers in, you exit with the person of Christ with you. So during the next song, Feel free to come up and take uh, communion. We have the elements available on either side uh, of me here. We're going to continue to worship in song uh, and by taking communion. Let's continue to worship now. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.